So, um, how many of you know what, what was on the, uh, the, the, the picture on the cover of the bulletin today? Do you, do you know what that thing is called? There's a little picture on the front. I think there's, yeah, there it is. So do you know what that thing is? It's got a name. Well, it's a binder clip holding some index cards together. And if you read, turn it sideways, you can read it says recipe notes. But, but do you know what that thing is? I, the reason I ask is because, you see, this is one of the few things where I found out that I was cool. Okay, this is called a hipster PDA. Okay, a hipster PDA. Now, now, um, uh, uh, probably I'm guessing most of you know what hipsters are because I am always late to the party on any kind of uh, uh, cultural phenomenon. So um, I didn't know what hipster was, but I had one of these in my pocket one day, and I was reading a website, and the person described it, and they called it a hipster PDA, and was like. Oh, now I have a name for it. I never knew what it was called. Um, I've been doing this off and on for, for, for many years. I've, you know, periodically I buy a little notepad or something, but they don't work or I start to get, um, uh, upset when there's a few pages left and I think, what if I run out or things like that. So what I love is index cards and a binder clip. I've been doing it for, for years. And, um, if you don't do it, well, you're just not cool. Um, and, and that is where the hipster part comes in because hipsters, um, uh, being on the outside, I can't really tell you what a hipster is. I'm, I'm so far from cool, I, I, I'm hopeless. But, um, but from what I can tell as a kind of amateur anthropologist, I would say that the, um, that the essence of the hipster subculture is, is a disdain for everything that is, that is mainstream and a delight in things that are, that are, um, insider or, or, or that are not cool. So, so, um, back in the olden days, um, uh, uh, people had PDAs, personal digital assistants. Okay. This is, you know, 15 years ago or something. That's a Palm Pilot, a PDA. Nowadays, your phone does all that stuff. So whether you have a phone or a PDA, um, what you, what you, ha- what you have is something that's very mainstream, whereas this is very insider. This is underground. So, so hipsters are about things that are underground and people who aren't hipsters are about things that are mainstream. So, so I'm both. Um, so uh, uh, the reason I tell you this is because I want to introduce you to those terms. If 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 you are as as late to the party with social things as I am, uh, the terms mainstream and underground, because because uh, they give us a way of looking at the church that I think maybe is helpful. See, for for most of the last two thousand years, the church has been mainstream. Okay, the church has been indisputably mainstream in terms of in terms of the, the proportion of society that participates in, in gathered worship as part of a church, and a, a cultural impact both. The church has been very mainstream. Um, for the first couple of hundred years, it wasn't mainstream. It was an underground movement that, that kind of uh, attained mainstream status. So it started very underground, very hipster, but it became uh, a mainstream movement. And then for the last 200 years or so, uh, the reverse has been true. Again, in terms of... of um, uh, just numbers of people who attend church, and particularly if you look at the last 50 years or so, there's been a real decline in, in the attendance and in cultural impact. So, so the church maybe is, uh, some people would say the church is dying, um, or it's becoming irrelevant, and it'll eventually die. Other people say, well, no, the church is becoming underground, okay, because underground sounds a lot cooler. And in fact, um, uh, this is the idea behind these two images. The picture on the uh, the left, I had to hold my hand up. Um, the picture on the left is from the uh, Roman Catholic Diocese of 
Brooklyn. They ran this ad back in April, and it shows you know the classic picture of Jesus in a robe, and he's wearing a cool underground um, sneakers, and it says Jesus is the original hipster. Okay, and come to a church near you. Okay, so so that's the ad uh, that the Roman Catholic Church ran in uh, in the spring. Uh, the other picture is from Christianity Today. Uh, it's a, a magazine uh, oriented toward evangelical Protestants, and they ran that uh, a cover a couple of years ago, talking about Jesus, and he's got the um, heavy glasses, which is another hipster thing. Um, he's He's got heavy glasses, and he's got hipster faith. So people have been saying, it's not that the church is dying or becoming irrelevant, it's that it's going underground. The church is moving back to its to its original underground roots, the, back when it was the cool church, and these uh, mainstream, you know, mainstream society didn't know anything about the church. So, so that's the way some people are interpreting the events of the day. And so, so I guess the question I would like us to consider today is: Is that true? Is the church going underground? And and if it is, is that a good thing? There are people who say it is a good thing that the church um, should be countercultural. The church should be something that is not mainstream. It should be countercultural. Because Jesus was countercultural. I mean, ultimately, Jesus was so countercultural that they nailed him to a cross. That's how countercultural Jesus was. So maybe the church should be countercultural. Other people say, no, no, the church is not some secret for an elite to kind of congratulate themselves for knowing. Okay? The church should be accessible to everybody. And so, so, uh, what, what these two, what these two different perspectives have in common is that People use them to interpret uh, what the church is doing and to propose ideas about what the church should do in the future. So, so uh, some people say that the church should do this or do that, and I want to I want to just re- let you relax if you're saying, how can I possibly be responsible for for trends that take place over the course of centuries and across an entire continent or, or a couple of continents? You're not responsible for any of those. All I want to talk to us today about is is what is what is what is Jewel Lake going to do to be faithful to its own mission? We can leave those 200-year trends to God. Okay, that's God's problem, not ours. But what can we do to be faithful to our own mission here at Jewel Lake? So, so the question we're going to be looking at is how do we how do we do our mission effectively? And and what people start wondering about is they think about are we underground or are we mainstream? Should we be underground? Should we be mainstream? Is they start saying, well, the, the, the programs the church is doing, the ministries the church has should change. Famously, uh, during the 80s and 90s, practically every church in the country went through this with the area of music, right? Should we have this kind of music or that kind of music? Should we have organs or should we have a rock band? Should we do this or that? So, so people have had that debate and we're all tired of it, but it is the kind of the first place people start that debate. After that, they say, well, the preacher's no good or the preacher's awesome or whatever. You know, I know, I know what the answer is here. Um, but, um, but they talk about the preacher. But then maybe they, maybe they widen it. They say, well, the problem is our facility. We, we've got a cross and people, you know, people get turned off by the cross. It just kind of brings them down. So we need to get rid of the cross. Or people say, no, we absolutely have to hold on to the cross. It's vital to what we should be about as a church. So people debate about the facility or they say it's too big or it's too small. They say, you know what? Really, we need to get rid of buildings. We need to start meeting in in uh, living rooms the way that they did back in the early church when it was an underground movement. So, so people talk about the facilities, or maybe they talk about theology. They say, 
they say, well, the problem is the church needs to get enlightened about human sexuality, right? Our, our understanding of theology is all wrong when it comes to human sexuality. We need to kind of wise up and get with the times. Other people say, no, that's exactly what the church shouldn't do. The church needs to affirm traditional marriage, that that's what the church needs to do. And the problem with all of these notions, all of these perspectives, is they're indistinguishable from our own preferences, right? I like this, you like that, okay? There's, there's nothing that will help us make sense of that because, because we can't articulate a principle that helps us distinguish them just from what we happen to like. So the, the question for us as we, as we grapple with how can we be faithful in the, in the case of, in, in the face of these trends that are much bigger than our church, how can we be faithful as a congregation and how can we do it in a way that, that gives us confidence that we're not just following our own whims, that it's not just the things we happen to like. Well, the passage we're reading today actually gives us such a principle. So, let's go ahead and take a look at this passage. This is 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul gives us a principle that we can use to distinguish between our, our preferences and uh, what the church's mission is. So he's talking to this church in, in Corinth, and we know Corinth is a real church because it's a big mess, and churches tend to be messes, big or small. And so, so in the case of Corinth, they've had this amazing outpouring of spiritual gifts, just the most amazing, uh, just the Spirit has come on them, and they've been able to speak in tongues and prophesy and, and teach and, and do all these other things, and, and yet it's turned into a competition, uh, people are basically saying, uh, Jesus loves me more than he loves you because I got a better gift than you do. You did. Jesus must like me because I speak in tongues. Or Jesus must like me because I prophesy. And it became a, a very uh, destructive situation at that church. And so they wrote a letter to Paul saying, help, help straighten this out here, Paul. So Paul said, Paul told them that, um, that they, they did have a problem and, and, that's what we've been looking at over the past couple of weeks. So he begins in, in chapter 14, he begins with this uh, sentence. He says, pursue love. And that's a reminder of what he's just talked about in chapter 13, the, the passage we looked at last week, the passage we've all heard at a marriage somewhere um, about, about how if we have wonderful gifts but don't have love, then we're like a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. We've all heard it at a, at a wedding or something. So Paul says, pursue love. And he says, strive for spiritual gifts. That's a, that's a, a, a pointer back to, to chapter 12 where he's talked about all these different spiritual gifts and, and the, the amazing things God is doing in their church. So he says, strive for those spiritual gifts. But then he says, there's a problem. The problem is that at your church, uh, people can't hear them being exercised. They, they can't make any sense of what's going on in your, in your gatherings. He says the prophets all talk at the same time, that everybody's talking together. Nobody can hear some, some word from God telling them this or that about their life or their situation, and they can't hear it because no one will shut up and let them listen. Um, or worse, uh, there are people who have the gift of speaking in tongues, and they're just babbling away in a language nobody understands but themselves. So, so Paul says that these are problems... And so he says, he says, strive for the spiritual gifts and especially that you may prophesy. 
So I think most of us would say, well, look, you know, who am I in a position? God gave this person this gift. God gave that person this gift. How can I pick between them? You know, that's God's business. I can't make that decision. I'm not going to jump in here and get involved. Paul, Paul says, oh, yes, you can. It's very easy. There's a principle you can apply to decide how your church should behave. And it doesn't have anything to do with whether or not God gave this person this ministry or, or this gift, or God gave this person over here a different gift. He says there's a very simple principle you can apply, and it's in verse 4. He says, those who speak in a tongue build up themselves, but those who prophesy build up the church. The principle that Paul gives is what builds up the church. He says the problem with spiritual uh, uh, speaking in tongues is that nobody understands it but the person who is speaking in tongues. Whereas prophecy, everybody can understand if they'll just take turns. So prophecy is better than speaking in tongues because it builds up the church. And then he goes on in um, verse uh, 6. He explains that, why why speaking in tongues is a lesser gift than than prophecy. Um, And then he wraps it up in verse 12. He says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for spiritual gifts, strive to excel in them for building up the church. So he expands it beyond just prophecy and speaking in tongues. He says, All the gifts, everything that God has given you, Strive to use them for building up the church. The principle is it's not a question of what you like or what you feel gifted in or what you think God likes uh, or, or even what gives you that religious tingle. I don't know how many of you have had. I, I have. I've had the religious tingle on a handful of occasions. Um, it's a great feeling. It's an awesome feeling where you feel like God is right here. God is in the midst of this. This is an awesome experience I'm having. And Paul totally discounts that. It's not of any interest to him at all whether or not you have a religious tingle. Paul says what matters is, is the church built up? So he says, strive for the spiritual gifts that build up the church. And he says, in particular, to be thinking about how this lands on people who are at the beginning of their faith journey, people who are outsiders. Um, that means people who have not been brought into all of the all of the, the the complexities and reality of the faith. People at the beginning, people who are new believers, and people who are no, unbelievers, not non-believers, people who don't have any faith in Jesus at all. He says, be particularly mindful of people who are at the beginning of a faith journey, rather than people who are well along the way. Be thinking about them. So he says, he says, if you focus on them, if you use your spiritual gifts in a way that builds up the church, focusing on people at the beginning of their faith journey, then you will be able in your gatherings to address the, he says, he calls it the, um, the secrets of the unbeliever's heart, way down in verse 25. After the secrets of the unbeliever's hearts are disclosed, when you are able to speak to the things that really matter to people, the deepest, the deepest things in people's hearts, uh, the fears that people have, the fear, God hates me. I just look at my life, it's clear God is judging me, um, God is clearly uh, 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 causing these bad things to happen in my life. When you can speak to the fears people have, when you can speak to the guilt that people have, right? Um, I know, I don't know if God's judging me or not, but I know what kind of person I am. And, and I feel guilty. And you can say, you can speak to them and say, no, uh, you, you were guilty, 
but Jesus died to take all of your guilt away from you. Or, or speak to their hopes. Their hopes about, uh, is, is this really all there is? Is, is this all there is? And to be able to say, no, there's so much more that God has, uh, in store for you. He says, when you are able to address people's deepest concerns, that even unbelievers, even unbelievers, will experience God's presence. So, what does that tell us to do? Well, the principle is right there. What matters is not what we like, what gives us a religious thrill. What matters is what builds up the church. So, our, our task is to build up the church. I was in a church um, years ago, um, and uh, there was this class, there was an adult ed class on Sunday mornings that met in a great big classroom, and there were four people there week after week after week after week. It was called the Aletheia class. No one even knew what Aletheia stood for. It's a, it's a Bible word. It means truth. And I guess four people were learning the truth in that church, and nobody else was learning the truth. And this, this, this church uh, was unable to to stop that that program because because the people who were involved in it cared too much about it even though it did nothing to build up the church this church was desperate for more room for children's ministry but the classroom was being used by these four people because that was their deal paul would have come to that church and he would have said there's a very simple principle you can apply does this build up the church not a question of it's a valid ministry. Speaking in tongues is a valid ministry. Paul says, I do it more than any of you. I speak in tongues all the time by myself. But when I meet in gathered worship, when I meet with the church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind than a thousand words in tongues. It's not a question of right or wrong, good or bad. It's a question of what builds up the church. So Paul would have told that church, you know what, you need to cancel that class, tell them to meet in a coffee shop someplace and take that classroom and use it for your children's ministry, which is desperate for space because that builds up the church. And in particular, the children are at the beginning of their faith journey. They are outsiders and we want them to become insiders. So Paul says there's such an easy principle you can apply. And when you apply it, you may be mainstream, you may be underground, but what you will be is faithful to your mission. How do we do that? Well, Paul was particularly concerned about worship, so that's a that's a good place to start. He was talking about worship that was confusing. So, so we have to ask ourselves, is our worship inclusive? Are there people that we are excluding from our worship because because it's inaccessible? This is a question I ask myself literally every Sunday. I think to myself, is this clear? Do people know what to say and when to say it? Do they know when they're supposed to stand up and when they're supposed to sit down? Um, but the problem is, you know, I already know the answers. So I don't see it with the same eyes as somebody who is at the beginning of a faith journey. Someone who is saying, I don't understand what those Christians are doing. Someone who is liable, like Paul says, to say, those people are out of their mind. I don't, I don't get what they're up to at all. So, so this is something where if you have those eyes of an outsider, I would love to hear your, your, um, thoughts on how we can make the worship service more accessible. But, Let's suppose that you don't have the gift of planning worship services, okay? Um, what can you do? What gifts do you have, not that give you a thrill or that you enjoy, or that are valid, perfectly valid gifts? The question is, what gifts do you have that build up the church? 
So look at the church and say, what needs building up? What is it that we could do better? Paul says, do that. Maybe it's, maybe it's greeting people in the parking lot. Maybe it's greeting people here at the door. Maybe it's helping them find the bathroom. They show up with a little kid and the kid says, I've got to go to the bathroom. You know, where is it? Right? Just to be able to, to navigate them downstairs and help them find the bathroom or next door and find the other bathrooms. That may be your gift. It may be the most important spiritual gift exercised that day because you've helped somebody come closer to God. Maybe it's making coffee. Maybe it's working the soundboard. Maybe it's uh, uh, being one of our musicians here. Uh, whatever it may be, whatever your gift is, if it builds up the church, it's better than the most exalted gift that doesn't. Maybe your gift is your story. Maybe you have been through some kind of a struggle and you say, you know, I still deal with this problem. But there's somebody else in the church you can encourage and say, here's how I deal with that. Here's, I, I, have, the, I have the same struggle or I have a similar, similar struggle and, and you two could walk alongside one another and help each other because that is your gift. Or maybe your gift is, is something you've been through, some tragedy or some kind of heart, hardship in your life and you can come along somebody else and say, say, I don't know what you're going through, but I went through something like that, and here's, here's what helped me. Maybe that's your gift. Paul says the gifts that build up the church far surpass the gifts that give us a thrill or the ones that we think God likes. So, let's be that kind of church. And if we are, Paul assures us, that even non-believers will walk out of the door and they'll say, God is really among you. How much more those of us who follow Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do love us and that you have given us all kinds of gifts. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to use them faithfully. We leave up to you the decisions about where the church is going, whether it's underground or mainstream. We simply ask you to guide us so that we can build up your church and that all of us, but particularly unbelievers, can feel your presence here. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.